0: We can all agree that sometimes life just hurts. Through this sermon series, we'll learn how to respond when we're wondering, why do I have to go through this? Where is God? Why does life hurt? So with that being said, here's where we are in the series. Today is part three, but let's go back to the beginning if you've missed any of this. Part one, we talked about trials because life is filled with trials. And we simply wanted to address the question, why doesn't a good and loving God prevent his children from going through trials. I'm not going to sum it up right now with a one-sentence answer because a one-sentence answer doesn't do justice to that. I want you to get the full explanation. If you missed that, it's online or it's on our app. You can go back and get that. In part two, we talked about the idea of correction, the universal truth that pain is meant to be a deterrent to wrong choices, from touching a hot stove to eating spoiled food, anything. We need to make the right choice, and pain is meant to be a deterrent. Well, God uses pain to correct our path when we lose our way. And we uh, came up with a really great saying, God has something better for you than a mouthful of sand. If you miss that and you want to know what that's all about, also online or on our app. Today, uh, we're going to get into the deep end of the pool, the very deep end of the pool. We're going to actually talk about something that, well, truthfully, a lot of people think there's not a good answer for. We're going to talk about suffering. Now, I'll go and tell you, if you Google suffering or why does God allow suffering, some of the answers you will get are the other parts of the series. But I think suffering as a topic is so huge that I wanted to separate it from the trials and from the correction and from the broken people. I wanted to bring it down specifically to a type of suffering you and I cannot avoid. And so that's what we're going to look at today, and we're going to do it by actually addressing what I believe is the biggest accusation against God, the greatest accusation that anyone and everyone at some point usually makes is why is the world filled with so much suffering if God is good and loving? Well, the answer to that part is actually easy. The world is filled with suffering because of sin and people who reject God's ways. That's a very easy sentence for me to tell you. The problem is it doesn't actually satisfy our hearts. It doesn't satisfy what we're really calling out. God, why still? Okay, that makes sense, but why? You see, for a non-Christian, what they are thinking in their heart is, if God is good and if God is loving, then he will just take away the suffering that's in the world. He will just snap his fingers and it'll all be gone suddenly. That would prove that he's good. That would prove that he's powerful. And if he... Did that, that I could suddenly just bow my knee and say, I'll be a Christian too. It's actually the reason that many non-Christians choose not to worship God. But you know, the reality is one day God will remove all suffering in an instant. And when he does, in order to do so, he has to remove all sin and he has to judge sinners. It is actually God's patience, his goodness, and his love that he's giving time for those who accuse him of not being good to actually come and be forgiven, to be saved, and to have eternal life. How unfair is that? That the very ground for God's goodness, being patient with people, is the very reason they accuse him of not being good. For Christians, we have a different question. And that is, well, okay, if that's what non-Christians have to go through, if that's what the world has to go through, but why do we have to endure suffering? Why can't there be like a bubble around us? If we are a Christian, if we are actually dedicated to following God and obeying his ways to the best of our ability, why can't there be like one of those Star Wars shields that just kind of comes over our lives? And, and like the glow of Jesus just goes with it. And our life is easy because we're Christians. It's the cry of our heart. So today what I want to share with you is a message simply called Why Believers Suffer. I think it's one of the greatest questions of our heart. And I, I, I'm going to do this message very, very differently. If you're a guest here, this is going to be different from what I've normally done. Because normally at this point we have a main passage that we're looking at, and I'll invite you to turn there with me. But today, because we're going to see so many different passages and what God is doing in the midst of suffering, you wouldn't hear a word I said if you tried to flip through your Bible the whole time keeping up. So I'm actually going to ask you just to follow along on the screen. All of the the passages we're going to look at are in the app, and uh, then you can go back later, you can flip through your Bible, you can pray over them more. I always encourage you to do that and process what we preach here. But for today, because we're going to look at so much, if you just look at the screen, this is going to help. And we're going to begin with a statement Jesus made when he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace because in this world you're going to have tribulation. I'm speaking to give you peace because in this world you will suffer. The truth, though, is we're probably all still asking, but why? Why does it have to be that way? God is all powerful, God is good, God is loving, why doesn't God just prevent these tribulations and the suffering, why does it have to be this way? Before I answer that, I wanna make sure you know what I am talking about today and what I am not talking about today. Peter said this, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And as a total side note, as I was preparing this message, I thought, that's really interesting that a meddler is on the same line as a murderer. Some of y'all might want to get out of your neighbor's yard and just leave some things alone. Y'all know what I'm saying? But here is the point. There is ungodliness in our lives that we choose that makes a mess. And that mess is suffering and painful and it's ugly. Ungodliness begets ungodliness. It's just... Ugly and painful. And if we want to get rid of that in our lives, all we simply have to do is choose to be godly and you can make that suffering go away. I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. I'm not talking about correction. I'm not talking about the messes. I'm not talking about the trials. I'm talking about the type of suffering that we can't make go away. I'm talking about the type of suffering that the most devout follower of Jesus can't get rid of and actually might even be destined to experience. So according to Jesus, suffering as a believer is actually an expectation. Thank you, Jesus, for warning us, but we'd still like to know why it can't be another way. Well, actually, there are at least three significant reasons as I've been working on this message. I've been working on this for about a year, actually, because I think it's just something that's not preached anymore. We, we don't want to talk about the hardships. We want to talk about the blessings and the good things. But I've I've come to see there are at least three significant reasons that believers suffer, and I'm going to show those to you. The first one is that our mission has opposition. Our mission has opposition. And that actually helps us understand one of the strangest statements about suffering in all of the Bible. One of the most confusing statements that people often will come to me and say, Pastor, can you explain this? I, I don't quite understand it. When Paul wrote in Colossians, he says, now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I am completing the sufferings of Christ. Are are you kidding me, Paul? That sounds a little arrogant. Who are you to think that you can finish something that Jesus left undone? Well, who are you to say Jesus left something undone? How can you say that there is a lack in Jesus' sufferings, and you are going to come along and fill them up. What's well, not actually arrogant at all? The emphasis is on the words that came after that. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. For the sake of his body, that is the church. You see, what we need to understand is Jesus' mission came with suffering in his human body, and his mission isn't over. Now that he is in heaven, the Bible gives us a picture repeatedly that we are now the body of Christ on the earth. The church is the body of Christ upon the earth. What Jesus is doing, he is now doing through you and me today upon the earth. And that still comes with opposition against who he is. And that means that there is still suffering being put against his body. And that really explains a lot. Because if there is still opposition to Jesus, If there is still something coming against him, and you and I are his body on the earth today, well, let me me put it this way. As the mission given to Jesus to redeem the lost could only be accomplished through suffering on the cross, the mission given to us to reach the lost can only be accomplished through suffering as his body. Did y'all get that? No one wants to say amen to that. But it's a truth that we have to understand. When Jesus came to redeem the lost and he was Facing the cross the night before, he goes to the garden and he prays, Father, if there is any other way, but there was no other way. There was no other way but suffering in our place. As the mission given to Jesus to redeem the lost could only be accomplished through suffering on the cross, then that mission that has now been passed to us to reach the lost can only be accomplished through suffering as his body. Why? Because reaching the lost in this world comes with Spiritual warfare and persecution. It's what Jesus experienced. We are carrying out a mission from God. Anybody get like a Blues Brothers flashback as I say that? Come on, anybody who's old enough? But we are carrying out a mission from God that is opposed by the devil. This mission was opposed by the devil 2000 years ago. It is still opposed by the devil today. There will be spiritual warfare if you attempt to carry out the mission of Jesus in your life. This warfare comes from the kingdom of darkness. It is an attack driven by the devil against you. This is real. This is what the Bible says. I know your tribulation. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. I know that you're about to suffer. Don't fear it, it's coming. Behold the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Be faithful unto death. Whoa, nuh-uh. You can put me in jail for a little bit, maybe a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks. I don't mind having a prison ministry for a little bit. I got a few sermons up my sleeve. I can preach while I'm in jail. Paul did it. I- I- I'm okay. Be faithful unto death? You mean the, the spiritual warfare against me is not going to stop until I either stop representing Jesus or go to heaven? That's right. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. We're carrying out a mission from God that comes with opposition. Matter of fact, there will be persecution because we're carrying out a mission from God that's opposed by people and organizations and governments. There will be persecution. Now, let me just be very clear. The spirit behind spiritual warfare and persecution is the same spirit, but it manifests differently in our lives. We stand for an ultimate truth. There will be persecution. We believe in a God with moral absolutes. There will be persecution. And we live our lives with values that the world opposes. There will be persecution. Let me share with you a really unique insight out of an event in the Apostle Paul's life as he was converted from Saul to Paul. Some of you have grown up going to church. You're familiar with the story But it's out of Acts chapter 9 that says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, another city, so that when he went to the city, if he found any belonging to the way, those who follow Jesus, men or women, he might bring them down to Jerusalem. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. No, 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 Jesus, you are in heaven. He is killing Christians. He is killing people who follow you. That's right, because you're my body. He's persecuting me. You'll experience it but the attack is against me. That's a key for us to understand. The attack and opposition against the Son of God, redeeming the lost, rescuing them from the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of his Son is still opposed to this day. And you and I will experience that opposition, which leads us to the second reason that believers suffer. Because suffering for Jesus connects us to Jesus. Suffering for Jesus connects us to Jesus. Can we just be honest? You're probably still asking, well, why does God have, why does it have to be that way? Why doesn't God prevent that? Why doesn't God prevent spiritual warfare in our lives? He is greater than the devil, you know. Y'all can say amen to that one. But why should he prevent spiritual warfare in our lives? Jesus endured spiritual warfare. Are we better than Jesus? God could prevent persecution in our lives, but why should he? Jesus experienced persecution. Are we better than Jesus? Actually, this is one of the main reasons that believers suffer is because we are actually called to share in the sufferings of Christ because we are a child of God. Peter says this, For this is a gracious gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Wait a minute. Unjustly? Yeah, because again, if you suffer as a murderer or a meddler or whatever, you're just getting what comes to you because you did that. But if you suffer unjustly simply because you represent Jesus and Jesus is truth and you are attacked. It says, for to this you have been called. I don't like that verse. Anybody with me? For to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. What? Wait a minute, when I said, God, I want to fulfill my calling for you, I was talking about becoming a teacher or a doctor and getting paid well and taking nice vacations. You're telling me the very thing I beg you to take away, suffering is not something you're going to take away, but something you called me to? When do people preach that? Yes, it's my destiny as a Jesus follower. Suffering unjustly? Yes, because it was Jesus' destiny as our Savior. You see, Paul, who maybe suffered more greatly than any other human for the name of Jesus, wrote this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And if only the Bible had stopped right there, we'd be excited. But we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs standing side by side with our brother Jesus to inherit the kingdom when everything is given out, provided we suffer with him. You see, it seems that suffering for the sake of the kingdom, to inherit the kingdom, to destroy the kingdom of darkness, it's what the children of God do. The first son of God suffered to do that. Why should any other son or daughter not expect to suffer alongside their big brother for the same purpose? We're in the family. My family has a Sunday evening tradition right now, and that is uh, we get together, have dinner, and then we watch two episodes of The Chosen. We love it. Well, my kids love one, but I make them do two because it's good family time. And Jesus is on the TV, that's pretty cool, you know what I'm saying? My point is very simple. You wanna be in my family? You're watching The Chosen for two hours tonight. And you're eating dinner at my table. And I will tell you to go back and get the green stuff and make, no, no, no you, you know, go, you, you skip the green stuff on the island, get, get it. And God looked at his son and said, I'm sorry, there is no other way. To redeem them, the penalty for sin has to be paid. A body has to be broken, blood has to be shed. Suffering will have to take place to pay for sin. And if you want to redeem them, you, you will have to Endure the suffering on the cross. And God looks at you and me and says, welcome to the family. Peter wrote, because he knew being in the family, Peter, one of the closest disciples to Jesus who watched the suffering of Jesus said, beloved, do not be surprised. Why are you surprised that the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening? You're in the family of God. You're inheriting the kingdom. The devil hates you. Why do you think this is strange? but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's actually a mysterious statement. Insofar as you share in his sufferings, there will be a degree by which you rejoice in his glory. I don't know what that means because it hasn't happened yet. I mean, I know what it means here, but I can't tell you what it's gonna feel like. But when Jesus does come back, when His glory is revealed, when everything is made right, our ability to feel something and experience something here at the greatness of this victory is going to be tied directly to the pain we felt alongside of Him in sharing in His sufferings. I mean, it's, don't, don't don't get me wrong. You can be a lost person, and it's going to be an awesome moment when Jesus comes back, as the Bible has described. Non-believers are going to fall to their knees. The whole world is going to go, "Wow." But to the degree that you have suffered and felt it, to that degree, your wow is gonna be way different. And we're all just gonna have to wait and see what that's like. But that leads us to the final reason that God allows us to experience suffering as believers. And that is that suffering keeps us humble and dependent on God. Suffering keeps us humble and dependent on God. Can we just really be honest with our real problem with suffering before we wrap this up? So far, I've not given you any answer that makes you stop saying, Yeah, but God could still not do it that way. God could let Jesus suffer and just let us get a free ride. The younger sibling usually has it better. Come on, anybody knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, like, there's no real good reason so far that God doesn't just be nicer to us. We still object. And the reason we still object, the one thing we honestly just need to look in the mirror and confess is we just think we're above suffering. We do. We think we deserve better. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. To keep me from becoming conceited to keep me from thinking that I'm great because I've been shown all of these revelations that have been carried up to the third heaven, to keep me from thinking that I'm better than all of the people I killed before I became a Christian, because they were Christians. To keep me from thinking that I'm somehow above what my savior went through, that I'm above what I put others through, that I, what? No, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. God! Take it away. But God's answer to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is actually made perfect in weakness. You want to see what I can do? You got to be an empty vessel. See, when you suffer, you turn to me. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. I'm not praying them away anymore because when I'm weak, I'm stronger than I've ever been because God shows up. You see, here's the reality. We refer to ourselves as the great human race. We think very, very highly of ourselves, and we think we deserve only incredibly great things. We're above suffering. And a good God, a good genie God who just grants our wishes would take it all away. But Jesus suffered. So why do we think as humans that we're above what he did to save us? I have a story of suffering that I I share very sparingly. Because it's emotionally powerful, and I don't want to use it anytime. It's not the most relevant point that I can make for a message, but in this case, it is. I have four children here on earth, and two waiting for me in heaven. You know, the Bible says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But in our greatness as humans, we say, Why doesn't He just give? Why does He have to take away? been many, many years since we've been through those experiences, but I've come to realize something I've actually never shared with you when I've shared this story. I came to realize if God had to have his son die on the cross, why do I think I'm above having my child die on the earth? And then something really amazing began to happen because my weakness met his power. My weakness met his power when I realized, wait a minute, I'm not the only one that knows that pain. I'm not talking about other humans. My God knows the pain of seeing his son die. My God knows the the pain because he was there. He's been where I was at that moment in my life. He's, He's been there. Now, before some of you go no 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 jimmy i mean it's not equivalent like we're humans losing a a child that's god it's just not the same it's absolutely the same if not worse because here's what you have to understand the father the son had never been separated they had never felt not having perfect unity there was no sin between them god always has been we don't even comprehend that for us time has a beginning we have a beginning God always was. And there came a point in time where the son took on human form and he came and he lived a perfect life and when he died on the cross, the fellowship, the relationship they had, the same fellowship that caused Jesus to get up early in the morning when it was dark and to go out and say, Dad, I just gotta talk. The suffering of just even being in a human body surrounded by these people. But it doesn't begin to compare to the suffering. As the father had to watch knowing that his son in a human body had to experience a beating, a whipping. He had already been flogged with straps, but then he was scourged. And that means that they took whips that had pieces of bone, rock and metal tied in them and they began to just whip his body. And every time it would, it would hit, it would grab, it would rip the flesh away to a point his bones were exposed. It's quite possible that even some of those punctured his lungs from the back as he was whipped to the point of no strength, couldn't even carry his cross. They made someone else have to carry it for him. Father watched his son go through that. Then he watched his son repeatedly push himself up on the nails and his feet to gasp a breath until he watched his son take his last breath. And one of the things that you might miss theologically is in order for Jesus to pay for the sins of the world, he had to have the sins of the world placed upon him. And that, at that moment, the father turned his back. Not only did he watch the pain of his child dying and being beaten, he had to, he something he had never felt. His son has been taken from him. There is a separation of a relational experience they had never known. And Jesus cried out, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? The son felt separated and forsaken. And the father could only watch. And you may say, but Jimmy... He knew he was going to raise him in a few days he knew it was only a short time and they'd be together again it's not the same it's exactly the same because you and i know we will be together again it's not different at all what is three days for you maybe three years maybe 30 years who knows what the time length will be but our father knows whatever you have been through he has been through he he knows what we've experienced you see our suffering keeps us humble and dependent on God. Because when we don't suffer, we're at our greatest strength. And we operate in our own might. Without suffering, we become quite conceited. So all that brings us to how we're supposed to respond to this today. And here's the truth. Suffering is going to be a part of a believer's life. We're even called to it. So the only response you and I can have is to actually change our perspective. Let me share with you the perspective that the early disciples had on suffering as they began to represent the name of Jesus upon the earth. It says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. All they were doing is what I'm doing right now. Literally for doing what I'm doing right now, they were beaten and imprisoned. But they let them go, and as the disciples left the presence of the council, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy suffer. They said, are you kidding me? We had to watch Jesus die? And, and now we, we get to be counted worthy to stand beside him? Are you kidding? When he died on the cross, we all ran, we hit ourselves, we abandoned, and, and now God thinks we are worthy to be counted alongside of him. The truth is many of us don't grasp this concept at all. But there are some, and the, the, the closest illustration I can give you is 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 some of that of a soldier. See, I've I've counseled a lot of soldiers as we're here at a military base. And there are many soldiers that they would count it a privilege and an honor to suffer alongside their brothers. I have watched some soldiers go through their most difficult times simply because their brothers are being deployed into a hostile action. And maybe because of a knee surgery or something like that, they're, they're not allowed to go. And they know that some of their brothers are gonna suffer for the cause to the point of death, and they're they're not gonna suffer alongside them. They feel cheated out of the opportunity to suffer and to be counted worthy. And I've counseled those soldiers who have come home when their heroes and brothers didn't. And they felt guilt. Something was wrong that they didn't get to suffer. The truth is the Bible also gives us a picture of being the army of God, and we are called to suffer. And we should want to be right beside Jesus going through what he's, but we've spent too much time as a civilian, as a part of the great human race, saying, God, make me happy and bless me. So our perspective must change. I wrestled with the wording of this all week long. Prayed about it all week. At first, I thought I was going to tell you the new perspective needs to be to embrace suffering, and I realized that'll never work. (laughs) Because the truth is, we probably never will embrace the actual suffering. And it didn't even say the disciples embraced the suffering. They just rejoiced they were counted worthy to suffer. And I think that's the answer. Our new perspective must be embrace the purpose when suffering. If we can understand what God is doing, what if we could see that we are suffering only because the devil hates us? I'd be like, amen. I'm glad the devil hates me. What if we could see we are suffering because non-believers disagree with the truth we believe in? What if we could see that we're suffering to be more like Jesus and to experience what Jesus experienced? What if we could see that our suffering actually brings us closer to God so that we depend on Him? You see, I believe if we can embrace the purpose, then we can glorify God in the midst. And that, by the way, is the point. Peter said, if anyone suffers as a Christian, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. You know what Peter just told us? If you're a Christian when you suffer, you're supposed to do it differently. Your suffering shouldn't look like everybody else. There are people who are gonna do things, make mistakes, they're gonna have a messed up life and they're gonna be miserable, they're gonna be mad at God. When you suffer as a Christian, you should bring glory to God. How do you bring glory to God? When others see your faith and attitude, say God is good. My circumstances do not determine who my God is. You glorify God when angels and demons see your faith and attitude and hear you declare God is good. You give glory to God when God sees that you trust in him, despite what you're suffering. So today I'm going to leave you, that was all the, the tough truth, I'm going to leave you with some really good news. You know want some good news about suffering? It is only temporary. And it is very temporary. It is only temporary, and it is very temporary. Paul wrote... This is the last verse I'm gonna give you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is gonna be revealed to me. Not even close. Listen, I've used an illustration before and we'll use it again because when a pastor gets a good illustration, he uses it until God gives him a better one. I don't got a better one. But the illustration I believe the Holy Spirit gave me to help us understand this comparison that we have in life is your nine months in the womb. Compared to life on the earth. You see, the, during those nine months in the womb, you had some suffering. There were some days that you wanted something your mama didn't give you. You, 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 you got spicy tacos and you weren't happy about the spice and you kicked her. Come on, some mamas in the room, you don't know what I'm talking about. And then mama had a craving. She she wanted Coca-Cola, the leaded kind, the full on, not a diet, not a caffeine-free. She wanted the, the stuff, man. And you bounced around like you were in a bouncy house and you didn't sleep for the next two days in the womb. Man, you went through some stuff in the womb. But then when you come out here and you walk down the aisle on your wedding day, would you have given all of that up? to avoid the spicy taco Tuesday? When you see your first child being born, do you think about the time your mama drank Coke in the womb? When you hold your grandchildren, I don't even know that one yet, but everybody tells me it's gonna be great. When you walk in your calling and feel so fulfilled, when you feel loved by God, are are you seriously going to say, I don't want any of that because I don't wanna go through the pain in the womb. Just take it all away. That's the best illustration I can give you of our limited time on earth. Even with Spicy Taco Tuesday. Compared to all of eternity where there is no suffering, there is no sickness, everything will be removed. Everything will be exactly as it should be. We will be glorified. Our bodies will be glorified. Our minds will be glorified. Our attitudes will be glorified. Our souls will be glorified. We'll be in perfect relationship with our Father in heaven. We'll be in perfect relationship with each other. And you're going to trade all of that, walk away from God, never experience it, all because of a spicy taco Tuesday in your life. So I thought the best way we could end, for those of you that agree with what Paul said, I believe the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to be revealed to us. I thought the best way we could end is actually by just declaring it out loud. For every angel in heaven and every demon in hell to hear. But most of all, for you to hear yourself say it. If you feel led, say this out loud with me. I believe my sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to me. Let me pray for you. God, we... Thank you for the incredible privilege of being called a child of God. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you actually do prevent an incredible, inordinate amount of suffering that we'll never even know was headed our way. And today, God, we simply surrender to say whatever suffering is necessary for the purpose that you have for my life, I will receive that for your glory. And that is my declaration to you today, God. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. We've talked about it already. God loved you so much. When you were separated from him by sin, he sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in your place. His body broke and his blood shed. But God didn't leave him dead. By the power of the Father, he was raised from the dead. And that same promise gives us eternal life. We get forgiveness because of his death, eternal life because he was raised. We call it the free gift of salvation because the Father wants the same for you. But it's a gift you have to receive. And if you've never done that, if you have never made this declaration to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, would you simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?